Hello and welcome to a Brave Space podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Glasgow, and of course, I am grateful to be with this woman of wisdom, Dr. Catherine Meeks. How are you today? I am good, Chelsea, and it's always great to be with you always we always have a special time and today i'm super excited because we have a special guest that i am honored to present to you all and her name is michelle miller an emmy award-winning journalist national correspondent for the cbs news and currently serves as the co-host on cbs saturday morning she is an author dear friend of the center so welcome michelle how are you i'm great i'm great Wonderful. I love the energy. And so just so that our listeners know, you may have seen Michelle on CBS Saturday morning, or you may know of her newly released book. She is the author of a memoir, Belonging, A Daughter's Search for Identity Through Loss and Love. And in this book, she talks about her family story, her biracial background, and her struggle to find acceptance. And today, we are so honored to invite her into this brave space to speak a little bit about her journey for belonging. So I'm going to go ahead and open it right on up. Michelle, when did this journey for finding belonging begin? Well, I think at the point at which you become aware, I mean, of, of those things outside of your, you know, your family unit. Um, you know, you grow up thinking you're normal until someone says you're not. Mm-hmm. And that came uh, in elementary school, I would say about second or third grade. And ironically, not not just at school, but through a family friend who asked me the question, where is your mother? And I knew that my mother, I mean, you kind of, you, it, it, it crystallized for me that um, I wasn't in quote unquote, and I use quotes a lot because I think all families are, are normal. The family you're in is the family you're in. And so therefore you're not abnormal. You're not extraordinary. You're not, or you're not, I just think those labels sometimes really do us a disservice, but yet society does put those labels on us. And I think at that age was when it sort of crystallized to me that folks looking at me saw something different and made an assessment about it. And so I think I was, you know, fed up to some degree with that question. And so I just answered it as simply and as curtly as possible and said, I don't have one. And um, it's interesting. I think my father overheard me and what ensued was a, a moment in time when he actually brought me face to face with a mother that I don't think I had seen since I was an infant. And um, it, it's an unusual space to be in because um, I, one, think that um, so many of us, uh, particularly those of us who come uh, in and around the African-American space for historical reasons, you know, it, we're, we're, we're keenly aware of. We're keenly aware of secrets and we're keenly aware of, of, of people hiding and people being hidden. Um, but it was something that uh, I think it was it was something that was with me until I took uh, a really firm grasp of who I was and, and made sure that no one would question it again. 
I love that. So up until the point of you discovering like, hey, you know, other people are saying this is abnormal, right? But again, you said, I thought my life was pretty normal. Up until that point, what did normal look like to you? That's a great question. You know, so I grew up in South Central Los Angeles with my grandmother, uh, who was my paternal grandmother, my, my father, who didn't live with us, but who was very part of my life. But as I said, as I hinted at, and perhaps I should say out loud, um, I am my mother's secret. And uh, the, the, the secret is uh, explored in belonging. Um, I, I want to give a, a shout out to all the people who made it a New York Times bestseller. Um, so I'm very excited about that. But I, I think that it was you know, South Central is also another space and place that is labeled. And I grew up there at a time when, uh, right after the LA um, the Watts riots uh, that that were triggered by an arrest of an African-American man who was simply trying to get his wife to the hospital as she was pregnant. Um, I think I think uh, people had this image of what that looked like, what it was, and for me, it was a very it was a somewhat wonderful experience in the in the in the aspect that everyone around me, all the families and all the houses that bordered mine, were these families family units where there were mothers and fathers and children, uh, whether they were in their thirties or they were in their sixties. And, you know, I, I was friendly with many of them and I felt very safe in my community within the border of the residential space. Um, and I think, I think for a lot of people growing up in that era, they did too. Not until it was funny. I didn't know I was living in South Central Los Angeles until I went to college in Washington, D.C. at Howard University, and I met my roommate for the first time. Wendy Raquel Robinson was the person who explained to me where I lived. I said, she said, where are you from? I said, L.A. She said, me too. She said, where in L.A.? I said, the Vermont Knoll. She said, where exactly? And I said, 80th and Normandy. She said, girl, I'm 84th place and, and Western. You're in South Central. And I just, I said, I am. She said, yes. Cause no one had described it to me in my neighborhood at all that way before. So there it was. And I have to chime in here that, that for around that point, because that's such a, that's so typical. You know, it's home, it's your neighborhood, and then these outside ways of characterizing it. You know, if you don't know about it, it's just home, right? And 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 then when you go out and have, hear that, it's it's like really. I mean, it's like when people talk about areas that are not. That was a wonderful area. Some areas are not so wonderful in many ways, and yet it's still home. Yes. No, I mean, it was very much home. Um, and uh, it was home for me through the um, through until I got to fifth grade. It's where I went to school. It's where all of my, you know, most of my friends were, except those who uh, lived um, in the Baldwin Hills area. I had friends there. 
Um, but it was where I existed until I was bused out to a school in the fifth grade, like so many other people, a pioneer who, um, you know, just, I think the, the, the notion was let's, I mean, look, it's clear that there is, uh, there is no equality in, in the resources that are given to children in some areas versus others. And I think the LA Unified School District attempted to equalize the playing field by, by sending the children in those lower um, socioeconomic areas to the schools in, in the valley and then busing or an attempt to bus those white children uh, from those um, those uh, better off schools to uh, South Central Los Angeles, and there was there was the uh, shift, like the I guess the that that wasn't being had. Let's put it put, put it plainly, and it became a one way busing uh, operation. Uh, I would say that uh, those schools out there were. Um, we're certainly uh, better equipped in many ways, but I wouldn't say that the teachers were any smarter, any better equipped or any, uh, you know, I, I think, I think that the teachers in the schools that I had been to all my life were uh, caring, nurturing, gave me an aspect of, of an education that opened my eyes to some degree, if not all the way to, 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 to being analytical in how uh, we were being taught our history. Do, can you think about the impact of going from your home school out on a, to the schools you were bused to? Well, it's interesting because I was, you know, I was a kind of a fish out of water in the school that I attended um, in, in South Central Los Angeles. I mean, I was this light-skinned, uh, wavy-haired kid who was trying to fit in. I had, I didn't really have, as I think about it, I didn't really have many friends. I can't think of a friend at all that I had there that I would hang out with consistently. I was somewhat of a loner. Um, and it was, I think, I think I was having a hard time fitting in, which was different from the, uh, the preschool and first grade kindergarten, first grade school that I went to, which was also in South central Los Angeles. It was just a different atmosphere. I had a great relationship with my teachers though. My teachers from Mrs. Bennett to Mrs. Smith, I, I and and even Mrs. Schaefer. Mrs. Schaefer was a white teacher who was who did the reverse commute, and I really have a great deal of appreciation for her because clearly she believed, or at least went along with, uh, the aspect of you know, you know, walking the talk. And um, she was a great she was a great teacher. Um, so and she and Mrs. Smith and, and 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 Mrs. Bennett were as well. But I just I think I think about her being a fish out of water, and she held that class intact, as I recall. I remember when I went to fifth grade, the teachers there just didn't know how to react to the two or three uh, African American students who were in the class. It was almost as if you know they weren't going to um, deal with us in the same way, and it was. Um, and it was just because we were just, you know, it, I, perhaps we were all very lively, 
uh, talkative kids. Um, uh, and, I, you know, I just, I think of those, those are impressions I have of a moment in time, a snapshot of, you know, the things that went through my mind. Um, but all in all, I would say, you know, my father wanted to ensure that I had the best education in his mind. He was uh, all about, as well, uh, equalizing the playing field. So I was very much a part of that experiment to ensure that whatever the reality was, people were going to test it. Mm. Yeah, and Michelle, is that the grade where the little girl, the, the little girl was kind of in charge of the class? I mean, they, there was a, I remember in your book, one comment about a student that kind of did what she wanted to would walk. Oh, yes, 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 yes. She was, she was, <laughs> I mean, she was, I, I just, Michelle and I, my friend, so I had a really good friend in the fifth grade and with Michelle Woods and it was Michelle Woods, me. And as I recall, only one other black um, girl in the class. And she was just, I think, in her element, showing out, like, liked having the attention and also like playing into this stereotype of like, don't mess with me. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the bad black girl, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the class. And she really intimidated the teacher. I'll never forget that. And Michelle Woods and I looked at each other and we said that, you know, if her mother, if her mama, let's let's be real here. If her mama knew she was acting like this, she would like be snatched out of that class quicker than she could say say scoot. But this teacher just like did not control the situation. So I blame the teacher not controlling the class, i.e. one of the students. It was the most she just looked at her as if she were some strange alien. And I and and we were like, would you sit down? Which what what are you doing? It, it was like like as if she wouldn't have reacted that way if one of the other students hadn't, um, re, you know, been acting up in some way, shape, or form. I just couldn't. I we couldn't get over that. Like, what is it? Why isn't she reprimanding the student? Mm-hmm. I was I was tickled by that that account when I was reading your book. Uh, we were tickled too as it was happening (laughs) (laughs) michelle i have a question you know if you're saying like hey when i was back in fifth grade or in elementary school and growing up i saw the distinction between being black and with people being black in white spaces right right as you you know matured and got into your career how did that translate when you're, you know, a black woman in the media? How does that translate and what lessons did you learn or grasp or grapple with that you took with you so that you could feel like you belonged in these spaces where we are a minority? You know, what what we do in this process of surviving uh, all the indifference or the, um, non-acceptance of who we are or what our culture is or however you want to describe it. I think we envelop ourselves even more. Either you do grow to love the skin you're in or you don't. And it that will determine how you react in different spaces. So you have people who uh, completely assimilate into uh 
the mainstream culture. They feel comfortable in that. And you know what? People have to do what's best for them. But for me, just being who I am is 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 giving honor to um, the family that I came out of and having a wonderful grandmother and a wonderful father who accepted and loved me and a wonderful aunt who, you know, was, was, was a, you know, wonderful surrogate mother and all of these other incredible women who came into my life, the mentors who surrounded me, both male and female, who were mostly African-American, but who also were of other, you know, many different um, races. I I think what, what makes me special in um, my mind is just an appreciation for that. And other people appreciate that, I I think, but I just, I think it's my superpower. My superpower is the joy in which I find love and acceptance within myself and working on to create that work in progress, but also the appreciation I have for all those other people who, you know, have embraced me and who uh, find, you know, me um, something to behold. And there's nothing like finding people or finding yourself in other people. And there are ways to do that that I think, you know, creates, you know, a better community, a better friendship, a better world. And that's how I live my life. I'm just arming yourself with, you know, one self-knowledge about your people, your community, your ancestry, understanding the contributions that they have made throughout history, understanding your place in that moment of history, understanding what your family has done and what they've meant, and then accepting too all of the mistakes that you have made singularly, that your family has made, that you have learned from, all the failures that have been a about the process of success. I think that is what makes you more comfortable in the skin that you're in, more comfortable in the person that you are, and more comfortable in the community and in the space that you occupy. That's very powerful. And I think you just released some great tips. You said, hey, I have a great appreciation from where I'm from. I acknowledge where I'm from and I accept where I'm from. Well, listen, we're getting to the end of this um, episode, Dr. Me. And I want to I want to say as we are finishing up here that it is such a an amazingly engaging, inspiring page turning book. I was so sorry to get to the end of it. Really? I, you know, I kept saying I, I don't want it to end, so I slowed myself down as I as I saw the pages going diminishing. And and it's such a delight to know you, Michelle Miller, an authentic woman. I just, I just love meeting people that know who they are and can allow other people to be who they are. And thank you for being that kind of person. That, that's thank you, and that's a gift. Are we going to get to talk about how we met, Dr. Catherine? Yes. Uh huh. Just the next time, as soon as we start the second one. Okay. So- That's right. So um, I hope our listeners stay tuned for the part two of this conversation in this brave space. But until then, just remember to always tell the truth. Connect with us on social media, Center for Racial Healing, or online on our website, centerforracialhealing.org. Stay tuned for our next episode with Michelle Miller.